over here. It is probably the worst possible time to do one of these videos, but um, I do do them every week. Friday we we're flying, it didn't work real well then. Yesterday we were, I gotta talk about what I did yesterday. Shortly, in fact, I'm gonna talk about all the stuff we've done here. I haven't posted much to Twitter, I've put a bunch of stuff on Facebook. I'm not sure why, maybe it's a bit easier, maybe people are less angry on Facebook at the moment. But let me talk about uh, sponsorship first because it is still a sponsorship week, <laughs> regardless of me being away. Sponsor this week, uh, as we have seen for many, many weeks now, and excuse me as I look around to all sorts of different places because I've tried to find like the right spot here in the sun. My iPad's here, but it's got no connectivity because it's crap. <laughs> Not the iPad, the Starlink that's here is just woeful. That's on 4G. Laptop's here. For some reason, that works on the Wi-Fi. Anyway, Clyde. <laughs> Clyde Insurers. You can secure devices, or your secure devices can access cloud apps. Only secure devices can access cloud apps. I'm also here in the glare at the moment. I should know the Clyde stuff up by heart by now. Really. It's Zero Trust tailor-made for Okta. Book a demo now. And as I've said many, many, many weeks this year and last year as well, Clyde is all about ensuring that only secure devices can actually access your apps. Uh, achieving zero trust access, all the rage, zero trust these days. Designed for Okta, works on Mac, Windows, and Linux. Now I'm gonna be uh, looking around a little bit in different places as I try and also see the comments that are down here. Again, appreciating this is the worst possible time to do one of these videos, so who knows what the attendance will be like. But they're recorded and they get turned into a podcast and some number of thousands of people watch them later on. So if you're one of those people, thank you for watching later. All right, let me talk about uh, New Zealand because New Zealand is um, New Zealand's pretty cool. It's, uh, where do we start? Knowing that there are people here from international places and I am gonna do data breachy things later on. If you're not familiar with New Zealand, it, uh, and I'll try and say this in a nice way, and, and I do mean it nicely, it, it, it is very like Australia in many ways. So we have a lot of Kiwis in Australia. There's a lot of Aussies here. Uh, most people can't tell us apart, if I'm honest. Charlotte, who has now spent three years living in Australia, really can't pick the accent yet. It's usually like little things. Very, very culturally similar in many, many ways. New Zealand is also a lot bigger than what I think most people realize. A lot bigger than what I think I realize. So if you pick, I was watching a video on this the other day. If you pick uh, continental USA, it's pretty much the entire eastern seaboard. So like Florida, all up to Maine sort of size. It's actually quite long. In fact, we took two one hour plus flights to get from the bottom to almost all the way to the top where we are now. So it's a big place. Now, um, as I get my morning coffee going, what, uh, what I think New Zealand sort of really done a good job of being become known for in more recent years is a lot of uh, a lot of things like nice wineries, lots of food and fresh produce, uh, and a lot of really epic scenery, and a lot of adventure stuff. So the, the reason why we've, we end up coming to NZ is we've got limited time during these school holidays, they're not particularly long holidays. So it's like, where can we go where you're not gonna be jet lagged, it's not too long on planes, uh, it's the sort of thing that you can do in a week because we only had a one week block that we could take the kids away on. So, you know, that rules out like Europe or pretty much anywhere from you know, Middle Asia West. So you're left with like Australia, which we've seen a lot of now in New Zealand. So what New Zealand's been really good for 
is uh, first of all, two islands, North Island, South Island, South Island, Queenstown. And the last time I went to Queenstown, I worked out, was about 25 years ago, snowboarding, uh, and life was very different then. I have no photos on my phone from snowboarding in Queenstown in like 1998, I think I worked out it was. Uh, but Queenstown has carved out a real niche for adventure stuff. So I was, uh, even though I have no connectivity on my iPad, at least I have all my photos, so flicking through. So here's the stuff we've been up to in, uh, in Queenstown as I get into the coffee. Got to Queenstown, first adventure thing, where were we? Went riverboarding. Now, this is epic. So imagine whitewater rafting, right? Where you normally have a raft and you have a whole bunch of people in there. We couldn't do any decent version of that due to our daughter, Al, being 10. It had to be 13, which is fine for our son, Ari. But what you can do is riverboarding. <laughs> so they give you a helmet, a wetsuit, a life vest, and a boogie board, and they chuck you in the river. And we always thought this was going to be pretty cool. And it, you, we, me in particular, probably followed by the kids and then Charlotte, spent a lot of our life in the water, right? So we're in the, in the pool, we're in the canal, we're in the surf, we're wakeboarding, we're jet ski, spent so much time in the water. So I feel super, super comfortable in the water. But this surprised me is being on a boogie board, like out in the middle of this river. And of course you've got guides and everything, they take you down. But uh, it was actually pretty full on. And the thing about like rapids, which is not something, I mean, I've been, been whitewater kayaking in Penrith in Sydney before in like a facility, but that's my only experience with it. Water goes so many different directions. It's not like out in the surf and the rip is continually going one way or there's a sweep going one way or the waves wash you in and then wash you back out. It's just stuff going everywhere. And as you go down the river, it changes. So I thought it was pretty cool. I think Charlotte in particular <laughs> felt a little bit uncomfortable. But it was kind of amusing to watch, if I'm honest. Uh, and the kids were just like, what the hell is this? But anyway, it's a good sort of idea of what Queenstown adventure stuff kind of looks like. So riverboarding, look at my pics here, that, that was pretty epic. Uh, and if you want to see these, they are public on my Troy Hunt Facebook account. There's a link from my blog. Lots of pictures and things in there. Jet boats, jet boats have been a big thing in Queenstown for, I think, since like the 60s, which is massively old, <laughs> but they basically put you on the river. And this is part of where they filmed like The Hobbit and you know, Lord of the Rings and everything, with some of these just like massive cliffs rising up from the river. Put you on the jet boat. Jet boat can run in 10 centimeters of water, just super flat bottom. Obviously just, just jets, just like a jet ski, sucks the water up, blasts it out the back. Uh, and the, the driver just, the, the drivers were great. <laughs> They're just backing it in sideways around every corner, doing 360s and things. It was, it was super cool fun. And I think it's what many people who picture Queenstown and adventure sports, probably like that's the thing outside of skiing, which really gets you. I did a luge, which was good. Kids could do the luge too. Take you up on a cable car. You got your little cart and you just, you just drive down. <laughs> it's not, it's like, it's, it's fun. It's not like go-kart levels of adrenaline and exciting, but it was a bit fun. Uh, zip lining, did the zip lining, which was cool. Mostly cool. A lot of safety talk. Safety's good, don't get me wrong. But a lot of time spent talking about the mechanics of it. And then you'd sort of, you get all buckled up and zip, zipped in, I don't know, strapped on, whatever it is. And you go down the zip line to a platform and then you wait and then everyone else comes down and then you do it. And it was nice and picturesque, but you just spend a lot of time mucking around. 
Now, one of the highlights for the, this is their second highlight. I'm going to tell you their first highlight in just a moment. Second highlight was clay shooting. So like proper 12 gauge shotgun clay shooting, which Charlotte and I had done only for the first time last year in Tasmania. And of course you go to a proper facility, their clay is like shot out of one of these clay shooter things. And, uh, and you've got a, you got a 12 gauge. We, we had a, we had double barrels in, um, in Tasmania. And then the other day, not sure the technical word for it, not so much a gun person normally, but they load a whole bunch of shells in and you just get multiple shots and they just, you know, clay from here, clay from there. And I think it was super cool that a 10 year old and a 13 year old could do that under really, really good supervision. Uh, and the guy running it was just, uh, just really, really on the ball in terms of how efficient and well organized it was. So we're very, very happy about that. Kids loved it, just being able to like shoot stuff. And they both shot very well too. We all got very, very close with the scores. Now I'm just checking my other laptop over here, make sure I don't miss comments and things like that. But again, it's, it's not the time of day <laughs> for comments. So that was that. Uh, ATVs, uh, just like off-road buggies. It was, it was kind of fun, but Someone got told early on not to drive it quite as fast. We don't talk about who that is. Uh, and mostly because the whole thing, imagine all the insurances and all the risks and things like that. And it was very much keeping a lid on things. Um, so yeah, anyway. Went to an ice bar. That was more fun than we thought it would be. It's like a bar, I don't know what we paid. You, you get access to it, it's a small, it's, it's basically a freezer just with ice carvings everywhere. But it was actually kind of cool because it was like a bar and the kids could go in and that was fun. Um, went to Hobbiton. Now I think this is where the whole NZ started, or the whole NZ thing started. So our daughter really wanted to go to Hobbiton uh, because that's where they started filming The Lord of the Rings and all the Hobbits and things like that. Uh, and it's the movie set. And it was unexpectedly cool, so apparently Peter Jackson scoped this place out in like 1998, just flying a chopper around, trying to find the right spot to film uh, this part of the movie. Uh, and he found the spot and it's, it's so beautiful and picturesque. And I, I felt a lot of the time driving through it, it was like driving through English countryside where there's like rolling green hills. Um, so it was very, very, very pretty. I put a bunch of photos up on the Facebook with that. It's, uh, it, it, was, it was cool and cute and I enjoyed it more than what I thought I would. I don't need to go back for a second time, but it was good fun. And that brings me to, well, the second last thing. Yesterday, I haven't put any photos of this up yet because it is by far the number one thing for the kids. And that was Zorbs. Now, if you've not seen a Zorb before, imagine it's like a great big transparent ball with another transparent ball inside it. And it's actually the, the ball inside is suspended by all these strings from the inside ball to the outside ball. So you get like all this shock absorber suspension stuff. And then you get in through a hole. It's got a bunch of water in it. You get in through a hole and they zip it up and you get in there, one, two, three people, and they just push you down the hill. And <laughs> you roll down the hill with bodies and limbs and things going everywhere, falling over each other. And it was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. I took my phone into one of them uh, and videoed Al and I going down. And I videoed another one from the outside with Charlotte and Ari rolling down the hill. And the screams from one of those people in particular uh, were massively, massively entertaining as an outsider looking in. When I was in there with her, <laughs> I kind of gave away who that was then, didn't I? When I was in there with her on the previous run, um, yeah, that was loud. 
And last thing, and this is the last NZ stuff, and then we'll move on to some more of the cyber things. Last thing we just did, so there's, there's a lot of geothermal activity in this part of New Zealand. So where we are now is, is a, near a place called Rotorua. And Rotorua has got uh, everything from historically a bunch of volcanic activity through to today, like you can drive through town. Yesterday when we were driving back from the Zorbs, drive through town and there's a park and there's just like all this steam coming up off the lake and out of holes. And, and what's weird about it is it doesn't just come up uh, like in the park. But it's like you'll drive along and there'll be a drain somewhere where normally you'd have a clown with a balloon. And now there's just like steam coming out of there. And it all smells like rotten eggs. Uh, the only other time I've experienced this, uh, this strange geological experience uh, was in Japan. So, um, and the smell is the same. It's, I'm not sure if it's rotten egg, phosphorus, farts, a combination of all of those. A lot of geothermal activity. So just this morning, in fact, I can see the little boat down here on the water. They, they took us on a little boat about half hour uh, around this, this lake and you jump in this, this geothermal spring. And it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. It was pretty early. There were just two other people there. And according to my Apple Watch, it was 36 degrees in this pool. Now, the outside temp at the moment is 16. So it was really nice just being able to jump in this like warm pool. It was kind of cool. So, that was New Zealand. Now, um, let's talk about data breaches. We'll see if I can get any, uh, any internet on my iPad, otherwise we're gonna, gonna roll over to the PC. I have managed to load a couple of data breaches while I've been away. And the first one we're gonna talk about here is the Cody Foundation. Oh, iPad works again, look at that. Now, the Cody Foundation is, um, how do we even describe this? I think I'd heard of Cody Foundation before. I'm just going to link through it and read the bleeping computer story. Cody Foundation, as close to data breach, a hacker stole the organization's MyBB forum database containing user data and private messages and attempted to sell it online. Cody is a cross-platform open source media player, organizer, and streaming suite that supports a vast array of third-party add-ons enabling the user to access content from various sources or customize their experience. Now this was their MyBB forum where it looks, and they haven't quite said exactly what happened, but someone used administrator credentials to get into the forum and then be able to pull down the data. Ah, oh, thank, thank you, someone's finally commented. Terje, Terje, what? No one in the chat. Anyway, greetings from, and then I missed last, greetings from the North. Apparently, based on where I am now, 99% of the world's population is North. <laughs> of us. So yes, thank you for commenting. I know it works now. Again, terrible time to do this, but uh, better late than never. Anyway, so Cody. Now Cody had uh, just over 400,000 members on this service at Scott. So, you know, I was going to make a buggy, con buggy comment because as soon as we got in this buggy the other day, I was thinking of you because the way I started to drive, I've seen you drive a buggy at my wedding. <laughs> it wasn't like the wedding buggy, you know the one. And I was thinking, when we come to your place later this year, I definitely want some buggy time. Uh, and I really want to get on that motorbike too. That's okay. Thank you. <laughs> so, Cody Foundation. Looks like someone logged in with administrator credentials, pulled down a backup of the database. Now, what is not clear, either from this or the conversations I subsequently had with them, is whether that was an admin gone rogue, whether that was someone who's accessed an admin's account, if there were bad credentials on the admin account or anything like that. 
Um, oh, clay pigeon shooting too. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Cue us up, man. We've only got a few days. We're going to have to, uh, going to, to prioritise. We have some beer to drink. So anyway, back to Cody. Let me try and get through Cody. Someone grabbed their data. Now, it, it looks like someone grabbed their data and they put it on the Breach Forum data breach sharing website, which I never referred to by name whilst it ran, because I didn't want to really just drive more people to it. But now, of course, it's gone. The feds of various locations, I think mainly FBI, shut the thing down. So the data was shared on there. Cody Foundation discovered that, and they, uh, they got in touch with me and said, look, can we put it in Have I Been Pwned? So what we've ended up doing is making this a self-submitted data breach. Now, we're up to more than a dozen instances of this, where an organization says, look, we've had a breach. Uh, we would like to try and let people know, uh, can we put the data in Have I Been Pwned? Now, I did a quick scan through my emails because very often people send me data and I can't process it all straight away or have a look at it and it feels like the barrier to disclosure and doing the right thing is going to be high and I file it. Couldn't find that anywhere. So I said to the, the Cody folks, well, look, all I need then for Have I Been Pwned is email addresses. So it's not just email addresses in the breach. In fact, if I have a look at... Um, if I have a look at the Have I Been Pwned description, there are IP addresses, usernames, dates of birth, salted hash, MyBB, passwords. I'm not sure exactly what algorithm is used there because I didn't get a copy of the passwords. All they sent the email addresses and a list of the metadata fields, which is all I need for Have I Been Pwned to answer that question, Have I Been Pwned? So that went in there. Now, two interesting facts I found from loading this data. So one, is that 86% of the accounts were already in Have I Been Pwned. So that is, a, uh, that is a very, very large number. So organically, normally 50, 60, maybe 70%, 86% is very, very high. And it sort of says to me that the demographic using this, if we think about who would use this sort of service, is probably the demographic that has a lot of accounts on the internet. You know, people like me. People like me would use the Cody Foundation's gear. The thing that really surprised me though, is that normally when I load a data breach, Have I Been Pwned's got just over four and a half million subscribers now. When I load a data breach, up to about 1% of a new data breach's email addresses are already Have I Been Pwned subscribers. So I have to send up to about 1% emails. So yeah, a good example here would be if there's 400,000 accounts, then there might be 4,000 subscribers that are common between the Cody Foundation and Have I Been Pwned. But it wasn't 4,000, it was almost 20,000. So it was about 5%, rounded to 5%, which is a massive crossover between Cody Foundation users and Have I Been Pwned users. And I just find it interesting to sort of see how much commonality there is in some of these breaches. So I almost worried, like after I sent it, I was like, geez, I hope something didn't go wrong there. <laughs> you know, have I accidentally sent breach notifications to people that weren't in the Cody Foundation breach and there was a glitch somewhere and it's got people from the last data breach alert or something, but uh, I, I, th that should not be able to happen. And so far no one's reported that. So it just looks like a massive, a massive crossover, which is interesting. Um, now, OG users, oh geez, these guys. So OG accounts are high value, usually short or very distinctive 
usernames. And there is a market. I, th I think uh, Jack Reside and Dr. Dory has actually did a story about this once on his podcast. So listen to this. There is a market for trading in OG accounts. So if you, you know, if you've got like a single character Twitter handle or something like that, uh, I think the one in Jack's story, it was, let's say for argument's sake, it was, it was like the Instagram handle lion, you know, like that would be valuable. So this website has built out a niche in trading in stolen accounts. Have a look at the, uh, the description here, account hijacking and SIM swapping forum, OG users. Now it's a Clearweb website and you would have to think by about now, after breach forums and after raid forums and after the NCA in the UK setting up their DDoS for hire, effectively honeypot, let's face it, site. Even after the Gemini stuff the other day with the FBI, you'd have to think now, if you were a user of one of these services, you'd be expecting at some point in time your data to, uh, to fall into the hands of the law enforcement agencies. Incidentally, it looks like the Dutch, I think it's the NCTHU, I always get that acronym wrong, Dutch police, seem to have been emailing people who are members of the Breach Forum website saying, you probably want to think about what you're doing. I shared this in a tweet earlier on, which is good. I mean, it's, it's, it's a virtual door knock, right? So these law enforcement agencies do do what they refer to as door knocks, which is, let's take the NCA in the UK. They've spoken publicly about this before. They will find someone heading down a path which is not going to be in their best interest in the long term. You know, that's a canonical example. It's a, it's a 16-year-old kid somewhere, and the 16-year-old kid is smart enough to be able to do some cyber things, but not smart enough to know that what they're doing is not only illegal now, but is going to take them down a path which becomes very legal. So you'll get your law enforcement agencies. Agents will come and they'll, they'll knock on the door. I imagine they say something like, is your mum and dad home? You know, we'd like to, we'd like to talk to you with your parents. Uh, in fact, the NCA's got a great commercial about this. It's, it's their Cyber Pathways program from, I think it was 2017, they did this commercial. Uh, very, very entertaining. I've used it for many talks where uh, we get these two parents sitting on the couch talking about how smart their son is, son sitting between them, you know, and it's, it's that canonical, you know, 16 year old boy. That's the meat of the demographic here. So they're talking about how smart little Johnny is. Might have been Oliver. I don't know. He's a kid. You know, always gets good grades. He's made a lot of money. Uh, not sure how good he is or why he's so good at the computers. Uh, and then, of course, the camera pans around. And on the other side of the camera is two NCA agents having done a door knock. So the virtual door knock, I'm supportive of. I, I'm really interested to know how effective that ends up being. I'm getting particularly interested in this whole space about as we see things like all the arrests that came from uh, the Gemini market stuff, as we saw Connor Fitzpatrick, the guy who was running breach forums, and we see consistently these young, if not kids, then young adults being arrested, criminal records, jail time, or at the very best, getting some sort of record. You know, this is... This sucks, this sucks. It's, uh, it's people that at some point in time went through multiple intersections where they could have gone either way. You know, they could have gone down a very productive, good path in a wonderful industry and they went the other way. So I'd like to see more done on that. Anyway, OG users, 
So OG users, in fact, the person that sent me this data, they, they said, this is like the annual OG users breach because it seems like every year they get breached. So this is now the fifth time they have been breached. Uh, and it's interesting because you, <laughs> each time it happens, well, last time was last year, each time it happens, I have to go through and figure out, is this genuinely a superset of the last one? So, you know, did we have the same records up to a certain date? And then at that certain date, uh, when I get a new breach and haven't yet loaded and haven't been pwned, it's like, yes, there are people from the breach up to, you know, let's say fragrance, like the middle of last year, but nothing after. Uh, so yes, that data contains people from the earlier breaches and then there's new ones and it's like, okay, they don't exist in Have I Been Pwned, but then do they exist on the website? Fifth breach. Fifth, I don't know how you get breached five times. You'd think you'd learn, wouldn't you? Point being, I think the, um, the law enforcement friends will probably be particularly interested in that data, which one would imagine uh, is in the hands of those of those uh, authorities by now. It's hard to feel sympathetic too, isn't it? It's like if your modus operandi is to go out and steal people's accounts and then your data gets leaked. And if we think about things like the Connor Fitzpatrick stuff from Breach Forum, we, we often say in, in this industry as defenders, it's like you have to get it right every single time. The attacker only has to get it right once as, as though we're at some massive disadvantage, which is a true statement. But when you look at people like Connor Fitzpatrick, the people creating these accounts on these services, the ones constantly logging into these administrator accounts, running the forum, using VPNs, using email addresses that they don't want associated to themselves. Well, now suddenly they have to get it right every single time. And <laughs> we only have to get it right once. Or conversely, they only have to get it wrong once and the whole thing comes undone. And in cases like Breach Forum, it looks like he got it wrong multiple times. Yeah chats with other people that were on the record, obviously part of the seized data, that referred to his real email address, uh, connecting from his unmasked IP address on multiple times, like all this stuff. I've got to get it wrong once. So how many people are in that OG users breach that got something wrong once? Interesting. Okay, now, next. Last thing on my list, and... Um, we are actually back to almost normal attendance numbers as well. Everyone's just really quiet because I think it's like late Saturday night and you've had some beers and whatever. Uh, but if you have any New Zealand or data breach questions or other things, I've got nowhere to go in a hurry today. But I do want to talk about this one because there's one here that really bugged me when I read it. Now, this is a story from about two days ago. It's on Dark Reading. The title here is Majority of US IT Pros Told to Keep Quiet About Data Breaches. The byline says to report or not report, while more than half of all companies have suffered a data breach, 71% of IT professionals say they have been told to not report an incident, which could mean legal jeopardy. Now, the headline is, is pretty, much, pretty much the story, right? People keeping quiet about data breaches being more normal than not. Uh, there are some stats here from different parts of the world. Three quarters of the response in the US, 75% experienced a data breach in the last 12 months. Well, 51 response in the UK, 49 in Germany. Um, and there's a bit of stuff in here about GDPR and <sighs> a few comments on this. So I, I shared this and said, if you have a data breach and you consciously don't report it, you should be spending years 
waiting for an email from me. Because you never know when the person responsible for that data breach is going to publish it on whatever supersedes raid forum and breach forums, whether it's going to appear in a Telegram channel, whether someone's going to send it to me just like they did the OG users data before. Just like they did data like Deezer. Great example. Scott was in Deezer. I think he said that publicly. <laughs> Deezer is a streaming music service. It's not one of those other weird things that we found him in before. You never know when that data is going to turn up and when someone's going to send it to me and I'm then going to send an email and go, hey, do you have a security contact? Or even worse, I'm going to send a tweet and say, hi, does anyone have a security contact at your company name? And then things are going to start unraveling because if people start digging and discover that you did know that there was a data breach and you fall into this demographic here of 71% of IT professionals who are saying that they've been told not to report it, it's going to get very uncomfortable. And very often there is a paper trail. Now we have seen various instances in the past where data breaches have been poorly mishandled and then the whole thing's come to light and it's been catastrophic. Uber, best example possible. Remember when Uber came to light, just as I was going to the US actually to do the congressional testimony. Uh, and that was the one where it was, it was extortion, it was a data breach, and it got passed off as a bug bounty. Now I'm trying to remember whether something like the CISO was, a, was previously an attorney general or something, and I don't think he got a custodial sentence, but he got a, let's just agree, a really large kick up the ass for the way he behaved in that. You don't want to be the person who later on at some point in time gets raked over the coals for this. Uh, and you will inevitably be judged by tomorrow's standards on this instead of today's as well. And our standards on data breach reporting are only going one direction at the moment. So I felt really uh, ah, not happy about reading this, but it did reflect what we know already. So we know consistently data breaches aren't reported. So to go back to the, the Deezer example, now Deezer had a really, really large number of people in it. I have a feeling it was more than 100 million. Now they've got internet connection again. What was it? What was Deezer? Who's been pwned? Uh, boy, I've got to start paging this list or something on the Who's Been Pwned page because it's, uh, it's becoming substantial. 600-something records. Deezer, Deezer, Deezer. Deez, Deez, Deez Completo, Devil's Trunk, Diet. Oh, where's Deezer? D-E-E-Z. Here you go. 229 million. Yeah, so we've got 229 million in here and um, 229 million people in a data breach and Deezer didn't report it. Now the reason why I'm raising Deezer in particular, not just because Scott was in it, is all right, a lot of people were in it, very substantial, didn't get reported, Deezer is a French company. They are well and truly under every definition you could possibly think of for GDPR. The ones where they are headquartered in a European Union country. They do a lot of business there. They're a large organization. They meet every single criteria. And last night I noticed after I tweeted this thing about, you know, you don't want to be not reporting this and then looking over your shoulder waiting for an email from me. Someone said, well, at least we have GDPR that fixes this or something to that effect. Now, it's a nice sentiment, but if that was the case, this wouldn't be happening anymore. And it is, and it's happening with companies 
well and truly embedded within the scope of GDPR within the European Union as well. So we have not fixed this with GDPR or with anything else for that matter. We have not fixed it. I think part of it as well will come down to when there is scope for interpretation of whether it constitutes a notifiable data breach. Now, this is one of the things that differs all over the world. And I understand every every country has got their own laws. Uh, that sucks because we're, we're working on like a, a global platform, of course, being the internet. So Australia is a great example. We've got our notifiable data breach scheme. It is our first set of mandatory disclosure laws, which is only come into effect oh, was it, maybe four or five years ago, I'd say. And there are three main criteria that mean just about everyone can weasel out of any notification. First criteria is, in order to come under Australian privacy law, you must have revenue of $3 million or more. Now that reduces you to a single digit percentage of Aussie companies. So more than 90% of Australian companies have revenue of less than $3 million Australian dollars a year, so they don't come within scope of the privacy law. Now, in order to put yourself back in scope, you have to be dealing with certain classes of data, for example, medical data. But of course, if you're running catforum.com.au, you've probably got stuff or revenue, you're not handling sensitive personal data, all you're handling is a million email addresses and passwords that people have used everywhere else. So, there's your first problem, your three million. Your next problem is you need to be able to self-assess and determine whether or not the data breach is likely to cause serious harm. Now, if you're Optus, well, Optus is well over $3 million a year worth of revenue, it's probably $3 billion a year worth of revenue. They had a massive data breach last year, but they also had identity documents exposed. There is a likelihood of serious harm because you've got driver's license details and passport details. If your catforum.com.au, is there a likelihood of serious harm? Well, they're gonna argue no, because it's just cats. Who cares, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that as a dog person, I'm just saying you could make that argument that the data itself is not likely to cause serious harm. But what the argument doesn't recognize is it's two really important things. Number one, they're the same usernames and passwords that people have used everywhere else, and they have used them on sites that would cause serious harm if someone got access to their data. So no, people shouldn't reuse passwords, but yes, they do, and they've reused them on your site, and now you're sitting on data which could cause people serious harm if used to authenticate to another service. That's problem one. Problem two is, why is there like just no responsibility to tell someone you've lost their personal information? It's like their email address is now out there. Their IP address is probably out there because it's a forum and they like to store that. Very often they store your date of birth. That's static knowledge-based authentication. You can't go back and change it. You can use it as part of the data that you use to authenticate yourself to a service. But you don't have to report on it because you've self-assessed is not likely to cause serious harm. So the point I'm making is there's just two really good examples of just somewhere that I'm very familiar with where you can weasel out a data breach notification. Uh, now, I said three things. The third thing, and it's less about notification, is that the requirement to report to the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner is not 72 hours like it would be under GDPR, it's literally 10 times longer. You've got a month. We're casual down here. I'll bucket New Zealand into that as well. <laughs> Everyone's casual, it's, ah, we're busy. We're gonna go to the pub, ride some kangaroos. We'll, uh, we'll get to it. 
within a month. So I think we're still gonna see lots of cases where there is non-reporting because people will try and weasel themselves out of responsibility, whether that be in this part of the world or somewhere else. Right, so a couple of comments in here. Um, Gordon Beaming, are you in Seattle too? I missed the start. So um, the MVP Summit is coming up in Seattle and I'm not in Seattle. <laughs> so it, is, it, is, uh, it is next week. There was just no way I was gonna be able to make it this year. So it's a shame because it's back in person for the first time in, in ages. Uh, but having the holiday here with the kids, um, we, we can't really just sort of go from New Zealand straight to there. They've got school, all the rest of it. So that, that didn't, didn't work out. Incidentally, traveling to, New Ze or traveling to the US from Australia, and I haven't checked prices in the last couple of months, but it's extraordinarily expensive post-COVID. So traveling to Europe upticked, I don't know, let's say 20% as, as an example. But traveling to the US like more than doubled. And suddenly it's a lot more expensive for me to fly from like Brisbane to LA than what it is Brisbane to Oslo. So um, it does make travel there <laughs> even harder to justify. Uh, as Scott says, it's horrendously expensive to get to the USA right now. Now, it, it is interesting because it does seem to be something very US specific. Um, but look, I think as we've all sort of learned over the last few years as well, there, there is a lot more that we could have been doing remotely. I've got a bunch of talks coming up if you have a look at the list on my website. Uh, and many of them are remote talks um, and people have adjusted to it more. Looking at the comments here around that, uh, Ali Robertson says, it is coming down a bit. There was a, a deal on Oz Bargain for 1,200 Oz, Brisbane to San Francisco. And look, I mean, there's always gonna be exceptions, right? There's gonna be deals. Where it always gets hard with travel is when you do get very constrained to time. Uh, and I like flying Qantas because I have all of the, all of the things <laughs> from them because I've flown them so much. And it does really, really limit your, your options. I will have another look. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. I do want to do another um, another San Francisco trip and just go and see a bunch of people because it is a hub, let's be honest. Scott says, I've been looking at attending conferences later this year and yikes. Well, he says, between May and November on Qantas. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty booked out for this year in terms of travel. But again, so much stuff has gone online. Even things like... Uh, a lot of conference talks I would have done, which are usually commercial exercises for me these days. And I would have traveled somewhere and they would have paid for airfares and accommodation and all the other drama and it would have taken days and days out of my schedule. Now they're like, no, okay, you know what? You can do that online. <laughs> you know, you can stay at home, you can walk upstairs, spend an hour, do the thing, still get paid the same amount and then you can get back down, you can be in the pool drinking a beer one hour later. Uh, and that... That is just an absolute no-brainer. And then we mix it up with, with travel. I think I mentioned earlier on, uh, what have we got coming up? We've got Perth in about a, a month from now. We've got Cyber West over there. Uh, that's gonna be good. In fact, just before that, they've now announced it. I'm gonna be speaking at the Office of the Information Commissioner for Queensland in Brisbane for their Privacy Awareness Week. That's gonna be the 2nd of May. So that's very cool to go to a, a government uh, privacy body. Incidentally, that is our state version of the federal version of the OAIC, who I just mentioned, who I think can do better with their data breach disclosure policies. And I, I do think that's gonna change as well. Uh, what else we got coming up? I've got a holiday to Thailand with the family in June and July. I will be over at Scott's place in end of August, start of September. 
Uh, also in bits of, where are we going to be? Spain, Netherlands, and I'll be doing talk in Prague in September as well. So there will be in-person stuff. My point is, we're just traveling a lot less. There's another comment in here. David, so thankful for you sending those emails. Companies should be more accountable for reporting breaches. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you. They should be a lot more uh, accountable. I'm just... Um, I'm perplexed. I just... I've had friends on the inside of some of these organisations where I've reported breaches before. And I, I can think of one very specific example. Someone, Scott and I know very well, who was at a, a very large uh, company who I reported a data breach to. And it was, it was one of my closest friends. And it was taking a very, very long time for them to disclose. Now we're talking, I think we got to like day 11 or something like that. And I was saying, mate, like, what's, what is going on? And I know I get a candid response from this guy. And he said, look, it's, it's a room full of lawyers sitting around figuring out how to spin it. That was it. And that is constantly, constantly the answer. It's about damage control. And I get it because particularly when they're public companies, they have accountability to shareholders and to the board. Their number one priority is not their customers. Their number one priority is the people that literally own the company. But it does feel like there should be better ways. Uh, and I, I think a combination of, of legislation and just being decent people will hopefully take us in direction. Okay, well, we still managed to knock out 41 minutes. Thanks for people that did, uh, did join in. I hope this worked out okay. This, this is sort of the, the mobile recording kit at the moment for, for those of you wanting. It is literally just iPhone 14 and the Rode mic. So I'll, I'll listen back to this and publish the whole thing shortly as well. And then I'll be back in Australia, uh, back in my office for the video on Friday. And I will try and do this one on Friday as well. We'll try and get back on track. Thanks very much for watching. I'll catch you from home. Now, where is the close button on this mobile app? There we go. See you, folks.